You are listening to the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast. I'm Father Edward Looney. And throughout the year, I'm reading and reflecting on the four-volume, over 2,500-page work by the Venerable Maria of Agreda. If you would like to discuss today's readings, head on over to Facebook and find the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast group page, and you'll be able to share your own thoughts and reflections with others who are listening and following along. Let us now thank God for the life of Venerable Maria of Agreda. Almighty God, you will that all people know the saving power of Jesus' name. Throughout time, you have sent missionaries to your people who proclaim the good news. We thank you for sending Sor Maria to the Humano people and planting the seeds of the gospel in their heart and in our land. She taught them the good news and prepared them for baptism. We look to her example in holy life and wish to be taught by her today. Sor Maria, teach us how to pray and meditate. Teach us how to imitate the virtues of Our Lady. Teach us the mysteries of our faith. Almighty God, stir a flame in our hearts the same missionary fervor of Sor Maria, so we may be as emboldened as she was to proclaim the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. Today is day number 300, and we are reading from Volume 4, Book 7, Chapter 11. Paragraphs 179 to 189. Chapter 11. Of the prudence of Mary in governing the new faithful, her dealings with Stephen during his life and at his death, and other events. 179. The office of mother and teacher of the Holy Church, which the Lord had conferred upon Most Holy Mary, was necessarily accompanied by knowledge and light proportionate to those high offices. For she was to know all the members of this mystical body which she governed, so that she might apply her teachings and her ministrations according to each one's station, condition, and necessity. This blessing our Queen received with the plentitude and abundance of wisdom and knowledge, as is clear from all that I am writing. She knew all the faithful that joined the Church, was informed of the natural inclinations of the degree of virtue and grace they possessed, the merit of their works, their beginning and end. She was ignorant of nothing pertaining to the church, except when sometimes the Lord concealed from her some affair, which afterwards was made known to her at its conclusion. Her knowledge was not barren or profitless, but was inspired with the charity of her divine Son toward all she saw and knew. As she, at the same time, was aware of the sacraments of divine providence, she used all her wisdom according to the measure and weight of her interior charity, for she gave neither more nor less than was proper according to the deserts of love and estimation due to each one. And this is a defect which we, children of Adam, ordinarily incur, even if we think we have used the nicest equity. 180. But the mother of beautiful love and knowledge did not pervert the order of distributive justice, mixing up her affections. She dispensed it by the light of the Lamb, who enlightened and governed her, dealing out her heartfelt love to each according to his merits, neither more nor less. Nevertheless, she conducted herself as a most loving mother without niggardliness or forgetfulness. But in her exterior manifestations of this love, she governed herself according to the other rules of highest prudence carefully avoiding special predilections in her intercourse with others with the slightest grounds of envy or emulation. For these are very apt to disrupt communities and families where many eyes are always watching the public proceedings. 
It is common and natural passion in men to seek estimation and distinction, especially in the eyes of those who are powerful. And there is scarcely any one who does not presume on possessing equal merits with all the rest and deserving equal or even greater favors. This kind of emulation is not wanting even among those who are in the highest position or have attained high virtue, as is seen in the apostolic college, where, on account of some distinction shown to one, the question of precedence and dignity was immediately raised and broached before the Lord. Matthew 18.1 In order to prevent and forestall these heartburnings, the great queen was most solicitous to show unbiased and uniform favor to all the members of the church in public. This conduct was not only worthy of such a mistress, but most necessary in the beginnings of her government. For the principles upon which her behavior was founded were to be well established for the guidance of prelates in the future government of the church. Moreover, in those happy beginnings, all the apostles and disciples and others of the faithful excelled in the working of miracles and in divine gifts, while in the latter times many were to signalize themselves in holy science and learning. It was proper to teach all that neither on account of great gifts, nor for lesser ones, should anyone exalt himself in vain presumption, or deem himself worthy of great honors, or of being favored more highly, especially by God or by his most holy mother, as far as outward appearances are concerned. Let the just be satisfied with being loved by the Lord and favored by his friendship, and whoever is not satisfied with this will not be benefited by exterior honor and estimation. 182. But the great queen did not, on account of this restraint, fail in the veneration and honor which she knew to be due to the dignity or office of the apostles or the other faithful. For just as she taught moderation in all that was to be rendered to each one freely and gratuitously, so she was also an example in all that was due under obligation to each one. One admirable queen was so prudent in all her intercourse that not one of the faithful ever left her dissatisfied, nor could any one with any show of reason, even if it were only apparent, deny her esteem and respect. All of them loved and blessed her, and were filled with joy and gratitude for her loving and maternal kindness. No one ever suspected her of forsaking him in his necessity, or denying him her consolation. No one perceived himself to be less esteemed, or that she favored or loved some more than others, nor did she give any one occasion of making a comparison in this regard. Moreover, she did not wish to assign on her own responsibility any of the offices or dignities which were to be filled among the faithful, nor would she use her influence in favor of any one in this matter. All such appointments she left to the well-seeming and the wishes of the apostles, and replied upon her secret prayer for guiding them aright. 183. She was led also to this wise disposition of her actions by her profoundest humility. In this she was an example to all, since they knew that she was the mother of wisdom, who knew all things and could not err in her conduct. She wished to leave this shining example in the church in order that no one may presume on his own knowledge, prudence, or virtue, especially not in serious matters, but that all may understand that true insight is conditioned by humility and good counsel, and that in all matters that are not to be decided merely by private judgment, such private judgment implies presumption. She likewise took into consideration that to intercede and favor others in temporal matters has the appearance of superiority, 
and still more does it expose one to desire thankful returns from those so favored. All these inequalities and defects in the practice of virtue were far removed from the supreme sanctity of our heavenly queen. And therefore she taught us by her living example the rules of our exterior conduct, which exclude as well the loss of merit as the hindrance of the greatest perfection. Thus in her modesty she never frequently applied to her for direction in the exercise of their office and in their undertakings, and the same line of conduct she observed with the other disciples and faithful of the church, because she conducted herself in all things according to the plenitude of wisdom and charity. 184. Among the saints who were especially fortunate in meriting the greater love of the Queen of Heaven, there was one by the name of Stephen, who belonged to the seventy-two disciples, for from the very beginning of his following Christ our Savior, she looked upon him with a special love, placing him first, or among the first, in her estimation. She immediately saw that this saint was chosen by the Master of Life for the defense of his honor and his holy name, and that he was to give up his life for him. Moreover, this courageous saint was of a sweet and peaceful disposition, and he was rendered much more amiable and docile to all holiness by the workings of grace. Such dispositions made him very pleasing to the sweetest mother, and whenever she found any persons naturally of a peaceful and meek character, she was wont to say that they resembled her divine son. On this account, and on account of many heroic virtues of St. Stephen, she loved him tenderly, procured him many blessings, and thanked the Lord for having created, called, and chosen such a one for the first fruits of his martyrs, in consideration of his coming martyrdom revealed to her by her divine Son. Her heart was filled with additional affection for this great saint. 185. The blessed saint corresponded in most faithful attention and deepest reverence with the benefits conferred upon him by Christ our Savior and his heavenly Mother. For he was not only of a peaceful, but of a humble heart. And those that are so disposed in truth are thankful for all benefits, even though they may not be so great as those conferred on St. Stephen. He always entertained the highest conceptions concerning the Mother of Mercy, and in his high esteem and fervent devotion he continued to seek her favor. He asked information on many mysterious matters, for he was very wise, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, as is told us by St. Luke. The great lady answered all his inquiries, encouraged and exhorted him zealously to work for the honor of Christ. In order to confirm him more in his strong faith, Mary forewarned him of his coming martyrdom and said, Thou, Stephen, shall be the firstborn of the martyrs. Engendered by my divine Son and Lord by the example of his death, thou shalt follow his footsteps like a privileged disciple his master, and like a courageous soldier his captain. And at the head of the army of martyrs thou shalt carry his banner of the cross. Hence it is meet thou arm thyself with fortitude under the shield of faith, and be assured that the strength of the Most High shall be with thee in the conflict. 186. This warning of the queen of the angels inflamed the heart of St. Stephen with the desire of martyrdom, as is recorded in the Acts of the Apostles. He was filled with grace and fortitude and wrought great wonders in Jerusalem. Besides the apostles, St. Peter and St. John, no one except he dared to dispute with the Jews. His wisdom and spirit they could not resist, because he preached to them with an intrepid heart refuted and accused them oftener and more courageously than the other disciples. Acts 6.9 
All this St. Stephen did with burning desire of attaining the martyrdom of which he had been assured by the great lady. As if he were afraid of any one gaining this crown in advance of him, he offered himself before all others to engage in the disputes with the rabbis and the teachers of the law of Moses. So eager was he to defend the honor of Christ, for which he knew he would lay down his life. The infernal dragon, gradually becoming observant of the ambitious of St. Stephen, directed his malignant attention toward him and strove to hinder his attaining public martyrdom in testimony of the faith of Christ. In order to destroy him, he incited the most incredulous of the Jews to kill St. Stephen in secret. Lucifer was tormented by this virtue and courage of St. Stephen, and he feared lest great things should be accomplished by him, alive or in dying, for the confirmation of the faith and the teachings of the Master. On account of the hatred of the Jews... Against this disciple, the devils easily persuade them to make away with him in secret. 187. They attempted it often during the short time which intervened between the coming of the Holy Ghost and his martyrdom. But the great mistress of the world, who knew the cunning and malicious attempts of Lucifer and of the Jews, protected the saint from all their assaults until the proper time, for his being stoned to death should have arrived. Three times the queen sent one of her angels to lead him from a house, in which his enemies had made arrangements to choke him to death. The holy angel, while remaining invisible to the assassins, was seen by St. Stephen, when he was delivered from the hands and carried to the cenacle into the presence of his queen. At other times she warned him by the same angel not to go to certain streets or houses, where his enemies were lying in ambush, and sometimes she detained him in the cenacle, because she knew they were waylaying to kill him. They not only surrounded the Seneca to murder him on his way to his lodging, but they made the same attempts at other houses. For St. Stephen, as I have mentioned in his ardent zeal, hastened about to bring help and consolation to many of the faithful, and not only was without fear in all these mortal dangers, but sought them out and welcomed them, as he did not know how long the Lord would let him wait for this happiness, and how many times the Blessed Mother freed him from dangers. He was wont lovingly to complain to her, saying, My lady and protectress, when shall the day arrive in which I shall pay to my God and master the debt of my life by sacrificing it for the honor and the glory of his name? 188. To the heavenly mother these loving complaints of her servant Stephen afforded incomparable joy, and with maternal and sweetest affection she would answer my son and most faithful servant of the Lord, The time appointed by his infinite wisdom is drawing near, and thy hope shall not be frustrated. Do thou at present fulfill the rest of thy task in the holy church, so that thou mayest secure for thyself thy crown. Give thanks continually to the Lord, who has it in store for thee. The purity and holiness of St. Stephen were most exalted and perfect, so that the demons could not approach within a great distance of him, and he was much beloved by Christ and his blessed mother. The apostles ordained him a deacon, Even before he was martyred, his virtues reached a heroic degree, meriting for him the distinction of being the first one after the Passion to receive the palm of martyrdom. I will add here what was made known to me in explanation of what St. Luke wrote in the sixth chapter of the Acts. 189. A difference arose among the newly converted in Jerusalem. The Greek complained of the Hebrew converts that in the daily service and work of relief, the widows of the Greeks were not admitted in the same way to office as those of the Jews. Acts 6.1. Both the ones as well as the others were Israelites. Though the Jews born in Greece were called Greeks, 
and those born in Palestine Hebrews, and in this distinction was founded the complaint of the Greeks. The daily administration consisted in the distribution of the alms and offerings for the support of the faithful, as he has been described in the seventh chapter. This duty has been assigned to six approved men with the consent of all, according to the direction of the Blessed Mary. But as the number of the faithful increased, it became necessary to appoint also some widows of a mature age to help along in the same work of providing for the wants of the faithful, especially of the women and the sick. These widows were to distribute whatever they received from the six almoners. They were of Hebrew birth, as the Greek Jews saw that none of theirs were admitted to this office. They complained to the apostles of this want of confidence in their own widows. This concludes our reading today for day number 300. We've been reading from volume 4, book 7, chapter 11, paragraphs 179 to 189. There were a few paragraphs of introduction in our reading today, again really about how Mary relates to the apostles and the followers of Jesus. And then we dive right in then to the story of St. Stephen, as we just heard, and how he was a part of the 72, how Mary always kind of had a preference for St. Stephen, saw something in him that was so special. I want us to sit with this sentence from Maria Vagreda. It's in paragraph 181. Let the just be satisfied with being loved by the Lord and favored by his friendship. That's you and me. Let us be satisfied with being loved by the Lord and favored by his friendship. I just think that's something that we can dwell on in our minds. I am loved by God. I am a friend of God. Another line we heard today was that she taught us by her living example the rules of our exterior conduct, which exclude as well the loss of merit as the hindrance of the greatest perfection. I always think it's good for us to hold up Our Lady and to say, this is how she lived, and now I want to live in imitation of her. And then Our Lady, when she would talk about others, we hear today, she was wont to say that they resembled her divine son. Well, do you resemble Jesus in your actions and in your life? Would Mary be able to say of you and me that we resemble her divine son? And if she wouldn't be able to say that, well, then we should do something about that, shouldn't we? Then we hear about St. Stephen and how the warning of the queen of the angels inflamed the heart of St. Stephen with the desire of martyrdom. And I guess as we think about martyrdom, would we be willing to die for the faith? We have the great stories of martyrs like Charles Lawanga and such. They die for the faith. They die for what they believe in. Are you strong enough to die for what you believe in? That's another question. Maybe sit with that today. Do I believe so ardently that I would die for this faith? And then finally, we heard that St. Stephen would get in arguments with the rabbis and teachers of the law of Moses because he was so eager to defend the honor of Christ for whom he knew he would lay down his life. In your own family, or maybe when you're in the workplace or you're out with friends, it's probable that sometimes people will talk poorly of the church, talk poorly of priests who have abused children, for example, and say, I don't understand how a church could be like this, and 
I don't know how you can believe. Well, what do you do in those moments? Do you somehow come to defense for the church? Yes, those actions of certain priests are indefensible, cannot justify. But do you come to defense for the rest of the church? What about the things we believe in? Maybe even the doctrines about Our Lady, the dogmas. Do you defend Our Lady? St. Stephen was willing to do that. It seems from what we learned about St. Stephen today that we should pray to have a portion of his spirit so that we might be so zealous and in love with our faith. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four volumes of the Mystical City of God. I'm grateful you joined me today, and I hope you'll join me again tomorrow. Until then, may God bless you, and Mary pray for you.